Welcome to Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 18 of An Alarm to the Unconverted by Richard Baxter. I know there are many particular cavils that are brought by them against the Lord, but I shall not here stay to answer them particularly. Having done it already in my Treatise of Judgment, to which I shall refer them. Had the disputing part of the world been as careful to avoid sin and destruction as they have been busy in searching after the cause of them and forward indirectly to impute it to God, they might have exercised their wits more profitably and have less wronged God and sped better themselves. When so ugly a monster as sin is within us, and so heavy a thing as punishment is on us, and so dreadful a thing as hell is before us, one would think it should be an easy question who is in the fault, and whether God or man be the principal or culpable cause. Some men are such favorable judges of themselves that they are proner to accuse the infinite perfection and goodness itself than their own hearts, and imitate their first parents that said, The serpent tempted me, and the woman that thou gavest me gave unto me, and I did eat, secretly implying that God was the cause. So say they. The understanding that thou gavest me was unable to discern. The will that thou gavest me was unable to make a better choice. The objects which thou didst set before me did entice me. The temptation which thou didst permit to assault me prevailed against me. And some are so loath to think that God can make a self-determining creature that they dare not deny him that which they take to be his prerogative, to be the determiner of the will in every sin, as the first, efficient, immediate, physical cause. And many could be content to acquit God from so much causing of evil if they could but reconcile it with his being the chief cause of good, as if truths would be no longer truths, then we are able to see them in their perfect order and coherence. Because our raveled wits cannot set them right together nor assign each truth to its proper place, we presume to conclude that some must be cast away. This is the fruit of proud self-conceitedness when men receive not God's truth as a child his lesson, in a holy submission to the holy omniscience of our teacher, but as censurers that are too wise to learn. Objection. But we cannot convert ourselves till God convert us. We can do nothing without his grace. It is not in him that willeth, nor in him that runneth, but in God that showeth mercy. Answer. One, God hath two degrees of mercy to show. 
the mercy of conversion first and the mercy of salvation last. The latter he will give to none but those that will and run and hath promised it to them only. The former is to make them willing that were unwilling. And though your own willingness and endeavors deserve not his grace, yet your willful refusal deserveth that it should be denied unto you. Your disability is your very unwillingness itself, which excuseth not your sin, but maketh it the greater. You could turn, if you were but truly willing, and if your wills themselves are so corrupted that nothing but effectual grace will move them, you have the more cause to seek for that grace and yield to it and do what you can in the use of the means and not neglect it, nor set against it. Do what you are able first, and then complain of God for denying you grace, if you have cause. Objection. But you seem to intimate all this while that man hath free will. Answer. The dispute about free will is beyond your capacity. I shall therefore now trouble you with no more but this about it. Your will is naturally a free, that is, a self-determining faculty, but it is viciously inclined and backward to do good, and therefore we see by sad experience that it hath not a virtuous moral freedom. But that is the wickedness of it, which deserveth the punishment. And I pray you let us not befool ourselves with opinions. Let the case be your own. If you had an enemy so malicious that he falls upon you and beats you every time he meets you and takes away the lives of your children, will you excuse him because he saith, I have not free will, it is my nature, I cannot choose unless God give me grace. If you have a servant that robbeth you, will you take such an answer from him? Might not every thief and murderer that is hanged at the Assize give such an answer? I have not free will. I cannot change my own heart. What can I do without God's grace? And shall they, therefore, be acquitted? If not, why then should you think to be acquitted for a course of sin against the Lord? Number two, from hence also you may observe these three things together. One, what a subtle tempter Satan is. Two, what a deceitful thing sin is. Three, what a foolish creature corrupted man is. A subtle tempter indeed that can persuade the greatest part of the world to go willfully into everlasting fire when they have so many warnings and dissuasives as they have. A deceitful thing is sin, indeed, that can bewitch so many thousands to part with everlasting life for a thing so base and utterly unworthy. 
A foolish creature is man, indeed, that will be so cheated of his salvation for nothing, yea, for a known nothing, and that by an enemy and a known enemy. You would think it impossible that any man in his wits should be persuaded for a trifle to cast himself into the fire or water, into a coal pit, to the destruction of his life, and yet men will be enticed to cast themselves into hell. If your natural lives were in your own hands, that you should not die till you would kill yourselves, how long would most of you live? And yet, when your everlasting life is so far in your own hands, under God, that you cannot be undone till you undo yourselves, how few of you will forbear your own undoing. Ah, what a silly thing is man, and what a bewitching and befooling thing is sin. Three, from hence also you may learn that it is no great wonder if wicked men be hinderers of others in the way to heaven, and would have as many unconverted as they can, and would draw them into sin and keep them in it. Can you expect that they should have mercy on others that have none upon themselves, and that they should much stick at the destruction of others that stick not to destroy themselves? They do no worse by others than they do by themselves. For, lastly, you may hence learn that the greatest enemy to man is himself, and the greatest judgment in this life that can befall him is to be left to himself, and that the great work that grace hath to do is to save us from ourselves, and the greatest accusations and complaints of men should be against themselves and that the greatest work we have to do ourselves is to resist ourselves, and the greatest enemy we should daily pray and watch and strive against is our carnal hearts and wills. And the greatest part of your work, if you would do good to others and help them to heaven, is to save them from themselves, even from their own blind understandings and corrupted wills, and perverse affections, and violent passions, and unruly senses. I only name all these for brevity's sake, and leave them to your further consideration. Well, sirs, now we have found out the greatest delinquent and murderer of souls, even men's selves, their own wills. What remains but that you judge accordingly to the evidence and confess this great iniquity before the Lord and be humbled for it and do so no more. To these three ends distinctly, I shall add a few words more. Number one, further to convince you. Number two, to humble you. And number three, to reform you, if there be yet any hope. This concludes episode 18 of An Alarm to the Unconverted by Richard Baxter.